This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome into Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Radio Network. I am Mike Casazza, welcoming in Chris Anderson here. After 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, Chris, we're, we're kind of old people. I'm so old, not that I'm upset I'm up this late. I'm so old that I remember the last time that West Virginia won a football game. Um, I was wondering if it looked different. Kind of did. Or if it felt different. Kind of doesn't. This was kind of a vintage Neil Brown at West Virginia performance. And I feel like if you went to a coach's meeting on Monday and you had some input on how things had to go, by and large, it probably unfolded the way it did Saturday night at Amon G. Carter Stadium, the site of West Virginia's last road win. How about that? Yep. I, if Neil Brown could schedule Gary Patterson every game for the rest of the season, West Virginia would be in a bowl game. I, I can promise you that, Mike. Uh, but it did. It it felt a lot like a lot of the games that West Virginia has played so far this year that wins and, and the couple uh, the couple wins uh, and a lot of the losses, um, not too much looked different, but it was strange. It, it, it didn't look different, but it did. Uh, the defense, same guys, uh, same kind of scheme, except a little more aggressive, a lot more aggressive, I guess is, is a better way to say that, a lot more aggressive yeah. um, offense. Same guys, same offense, maybe kind of different. But like you said, it, they got the coaches got together earlier in the week. Uh, Neil Brown was very open about it during the Tuesday press conference, came right out and said, TCU can't defend the run. We tried to fix our run during the bye week. We have to run the ball. And they ran the ball uh, 36 times for their running backs on um, on Saturday evening and and it paid off. I, I just don't. I didn't feel like at any point, West Scott. I can't believe I. I'm like laughing just about to say it. I did not feel at any point that West Virginia's offense could get stopped. Would be stopped. I can't even not even know how to say it anymore. I did not feel that West Virginia's offense could be stopped if they didn't stop themselves. Which I can't remember the last time I said that about a West Virginia offense, but. That's kind of how bad TCU's run defense is. Oh, as advertised. Hey, hey that that third the third Letty Brown touchdown. <laughs> do you think we could have done the old sack race, three legged sack race, and gotten through there? A three legged sack race. That's a double. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was. I I was searching for answers about why it was so bad, and I think they played some good running backs. Certainly Oklahoma has a good running back, running game, running backs. Texas, good running game, running backs. The one that surprised me was that SMU gashed him for like 350 rushing yards. You think of SMU, you think about passing the ball. Tanner Mordecai, Sonny Dykes, that passing offense, and they had no answer for that. And I'm just wondering, listen, I don't think West Virginia's run game is fixed. I'd be very surprised if they run for 229 yards against Iowa State next week. However, 
it was good enough tonight because you can be that good against West Virginia. There are some things we can talk about that were different. I noticed there's one delicious talking point we have to go over about the offense being different. Um, but by and large, it was kind of the same, uh, which was kind of reinforcing for Neil Brown. So I think my early takeaway here is that here's a person who for two weeks was a stationary target and took a lot of bullets because he really did double down on his his formula climb, whatever you want to call it. And a lot of people said, how can you do the same things and expect different results? It's okay if you expect different results and you produce them. And for four quarters and however many plays they ran tonight, it was enough. 70 snaps. A lot of snaps for West Virginia, too. But it was enough. Um, it was a game plan that you could beat TCU with. They took a punch early. I mean, they took a real punch early in that game and then shook it off, dominated the first quarter, and really got into their lane. And the one thing that we've said about Brown's team for two and a half years now is that they're pretty good when they get in their lane. They understand how to play with their defense, and they got in their lane tonight. And as you said, they were not going to get caught. The only thing that was going to beat them was if they made a mistake. And Daigie, by and large, kept the ball out of trouble. One pass early in the game that probably should have been intercepted. One really shaky series at the start of the fourth quarter where it was almost like TCU waved a magic wand over him. All of a sudden, he was a very different player. But kept the ball out of danger, highly efficient. Ran enough, not even like forward sometimes, but ran outside to move the ball into a better position for his receivers. He gets hit a lot for moving, you know, up in the pocket or back in the pocket and not moving outside enough. And, hey, that was a good thing. So I think for Brown, at least the early takeaway is that he's somewhat vindicated here. You know, is this transferable? Will it work every game? I don't know. Kind of crazy to think they're going to do anything different, especially after some positive reinforcement tonight. Yeah, the diggy thing is, is again, is it really that much different than what it's been all year? Because I think we've seen this type of performance from Diggy in other games. I do agree the one thing that seemed different was the him being a little more aware in the pocket, rolling out in the pocket by himself some more time. But when he's on and he's in a rhythm, he seems to be pretty good. But his misses are so bad that it, it almost wipes, you know, what kind of wipes your memory of the good that had just happened. Uh, at one point, he was 14 of 17 for 172 yards, yeah. which is outstanding. It, and then you think, but those three misses, one of those was that should have been picked off and maybe run back all the way for a pick six when West Virginia was, what, third, third and goal from the six-yard line or whatever it was that, on that first drive because – that safety knew that Deggy was throwing that ball. Heck, that cornerback knew that Deggy was throwing the ball right there on that that slant to the inside receiver. And both of them jumped it. And, you know, that that's when we talk about turnover luck. Uh, in, in another game, that gets picked. That gets run back. And instead of West Virginia scoring and the offense feeling a little momentum because they moved right down the field, because uh, they went 85 yards, 90. I mean, they started their own 10-yard line, I think, on that on that drive. Mm-hmm. And instead of that, you know, it, it now maybe it's 14 nothing TCU, and everybody's like, all right, time. Seriously, get Diggy out of there. It's done. This time it didn't happen. And he stayed in there. He stayed calm. And I think it was pretty good right up until that one drive you're talking about where, it, again, it just kind of all fell apart. And thankfully just didn't end up with an interception, and West Virginia was able to work through it. Yeah, and I think what happens in that possession is they get a three and out after they score. They score a field goal to go up 23-17. They get a three and out. And I said it on the board, and I really thought it. I thought TCU was in trouble there. I just felt like that there weren't going to be a lot of possessions if West Virginia scored. 
I mean, even if they go up 26-17, that's two scores for TCU. And with 15 minutes, like, and probably if West Virginia does score, probably fewer than 12 minutes, I'm really not confident in TCU's chances there. I think the old ESPN chances they win thing would have been heavily on West Virginia's side there. So they they kind of play it cautious. Um, third and, I'm looking at my notes here, third and six, he does that rollout pass, and then it looks like Ryan comes off his route and comes back to the ball, helps his quarterback, slips to tackle 27 yards. And then he throws a really good pass inside to Reese Smith, his, his lone action of the day, I think, at least his lone catch. Um, a sneaky good pass, low under a defender where he can catch it, and Smith makes a really good catch. Change the quarter, and you're kind of around midfield at that point, and I really think Brown's thinking, man, got a chance here, really got a chance. And they had Daigie pass three times in a row. He gets sacked once. The only time he got sacked, I don't know if that rattled him or what, if he felt flustered, but puts a bad ball out there on the second down play and then, frankly, just misses Bryce Ford Wheaton. Um, Like, Ford Wheaton and Brown are crossing the field together. I don't know if that's supposed to happen, but number zero is wide open in front of you. you got to hit him, and he's going to move the chains, and it just went sideways, and you're wondering, oh, no. Oh, no. But then the defense takes over and, and, and bails him out, too. Huge, huge part of this game is certainly – you know, Daigie being efficient, running game being effective, but he took the ball away three times, Chris. It's happened four times all year. It happened three times today all in the second half. They had seven points off turnovers, four turnovers the first six games, three turnovers tonight, nine points off turnovers, and then all really important moments in the second half. I can't think of a bigger difference in the game. Real quick before I get to that on the Daigie thing, and that's specifically that Bryce Ford Wheaton, Letty Brown play, and I think it kind of sums up the quote-unquote problem here because – with Diggy, it has to be scripted. It has to be scripted or it's just it's going to have a hard time working. And that play is supposed to be the, – the timing was a little off. Bryce Ford Wheaton was supposed to either be earlier or Letty Brown was supposed to be a little later. Ford Wheaton drags across the field, and that clears out the defender that is defending right there in the middle of the field in the pass. And then Letty Brown loops in behind him, and it's supposed to be the guy that you throw to on that. Except – Bryce Ford Wheaton was wide open, and but that wasn't supposed to be the you know the go-to move on it. The go-to play is number one option, and and it just kind of freaked him out, and he just threw it low and behind, um, threw it low and behind Letty there. When you throw it to Wheaton, and you're getting 17, 20, 30 touchdown. Who knows? Because uh, he was wide open there. Um, but the the turnovers. Yeah, this was the difference in the game. I mean, that was that was tremendous play from the secondary. They were jumping routes. They were attacking. They were doing everything that everybody said they hadn't done so far this year. And, and the coaches talked about trying to change that during the bye week, and they certainly did. I'm going to grit my teeth here a little bit, Chris. Oh, no. You're probably right on Charles Woods. Yes. yes. Why was this guy playing earlier? I mean I- – I don't know that. Yeah, that was my go. What do I call him? My breakout player, my 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 guy from before the pre, in the preseason. He was my pick. I don't know what happened to Nick Troy Fortune. It didn't look good. If he didn't come back in, that's probably a significant thing. I'm not sure he's had a great season. Porter certainly has. I think Woods earned himself playing time somewhere tonight. And if you look at Jackie Matthews being a spear, I mean, pretty much full time now. There are a couple of times I think he floated back. I'm not sure he was in the spear, just playing a deeper position, but. Uh, Woods, I would think, would inherit a lot of snaps now, either as a starting corner or if Fortune's back, and hopefully he is. You don't want to see him hurt. Maybe Fortune is back and Woods earns more playing time as a reserve corner, but also in that Matthews role where he's playing a little spear, a little nickel, a little extra defensive back because 
not only did he have the interception, he almost had another one that turned into a penalty uh, fumble recovery. He was around a ton of balls tonight, too. I mean, I mean, if they ripped the ball out, it was going to be like right around his feet. Um, he just ends up having a, a pretty solid game. Five tackles, tackle for a loss, interception, fumble recovery. Um, just kind of like what they had to have out of him on the fly, too. That's good, too. So plenty of positives. We'll talk about it. Uh, two negatives. You ready? Because mm-hmm. we have to be negative. Um, yep. What in the world on that opening kickoff? Because <laughs> all we're thinking of is, man, if they can't get this team ready after two weeks off and to go to a place that they've won, to beat a team that they've won three in a row against, never mind two of this coaching staff, that can't stop the run. Man, they should be amped up and ready to go. And then they kick it to the 4-3 guy who only started returning kicks last week. He brings it back 100 yards, and it was patty cake on the coverage on the, on the kick team. I don't know what happened. Or, I mean, guys were just like putting their hands in TCU players backs and hoping that they could push him into the tackle. And you're not going to do four, three speed like that. Um, that looked pretty alarming. I think I also wonder what the win loss record is for a team that returns the opening kickoff or a touchdown. I feel like it's like, Oh, in a million feels like the team that returns the opening kickoff never wins. So maybe, maybe that was in West Virginia's back pocket. And then, and this is just a nitpick. 29 points. You can't give him 30 points against an <laughs> FBS team. I can't do it. I'm sorry, Neil. Good game. Good, good plan. Probably spent the time in between games very, very productively, but can't give you the extra point. Although certainly had their chances. Um, you know, Casey Lake has a field goal blocked. Two-point conversion would have made it a 14-point game. I get all that. But um, I do want to go to the two-point, excuse me, the field goal. You're up by 12. You're up by two touchdowns. Why are you kicking a field goal? I liked it. Am I the only one that liked that decision? It's still a two-touchdown game. I know it makes it seven plus eight, but, man, I'm just thinking, just go for it. You know, your defense is playing really well. I have no problem with it. And then I know other people have asked me on Twitter about, and someone asked me on the board, too, you know, why do they elect to accept the delay a game penalty at the end of the first half when it's, you know, moves them back, it gives the kicker a better angle. I don't – I honestly, I'd much rather give the kicker the angle than give – Gary Patterson incentive to say, screw you, Neil, you're going to, you're going to keep us on the two yard line. We're going to go for it. And then you go into halftime trailing where you deserve to be leading. I, I don't like that at all. I think that what they did was really smart there. I don't have a problem, but I'm just, I'm just not used to not having any clock management decisions or game management decisions to, to quibble with. Huh? I, I only had one comment on that was the uh, timeout first quarter. It, I mean, it, it just had to happen for offensive timeout in the red zone. It had to happen, but as you pointed out, that was that you know again that's not Daggy's fault. That was coming from the sideline, and somebody uh, you know tweeted at me, "Hey, it was a good timeout. They had to get things right in order to, and then they ended up scoring a touchdown." I said, "Yeah, of course, you always want to get things right, but why does it always require a timeout to get things right? It shouldn't require a timeout to get your formation right, to get a play in, to to run a play." Um, so that that bugged me a little bit still. But other than that, I was good with a lot of the decisions. I think, you know, there were a couple of times where they had third and four. And there's something you and I have talked about on here. You got third and four and you're th- and it's four down territory. Run it. Get it to fourth and two. If you don't get a first down, fourth and one, then you run it again. And I think they did that on like two of three or three of four times that they had third and four or so. Uh, one time they didn't. I didn't really care for that. But other than that, that was great. And, um, I was okay with the decision to kick the field goal uh, up twelve to make it twelve or fifteen instead of twelve. That that opening kickoff 
I'm not going to lie. Somebody somebody posted on the board, what, what do you take from a game like this? And I responded, here's my exact quote, and this was this uh, Saturday morning, you know, hours before, 10 hours before game time. I said, I truly believe this game will give an indication of where this team's head is at. If they come back out and play with some heart, then they still believe in the coaches. If they come out flat, dot, dot, dot. I'm playing yeah. that, yeah. you know, <laughs> if they come out flat, the season's over like this is, you know, we're talking coaching, not head coaching changes, but changes, transfers, massive, you know, upheaval in the locker room, all that stuff. And then it starts with that kickoff. And I think to myself, that's ah, a kickoff. Can you really take a kickoff? And you message me and I watch the replay. I'm like, holy crap. There are like six, seven guys that are just not trying. Starters they, on defense. Yes, and I was gonna say, and they they're they're on kickoff team, but they are guys who are starters on defense, which is not a good sign for what's to come. And thankfully, they played more football than just that one kickoff, because because <laughs> some of those guys that were patty caking around, as you put it, came back out and played good football the rest of the game. Coaches will tell you this, and Brown subscribes to this too. You can tell a lot about a team by some of their special teams behavior, and if guys will run down on kickoff and play hard and play fast and play fearless, that's a good sign for a team. Um, that didn't look great to start, certainly. And then um, I, I watched TCU's field goal team all night, and it just seemed like it was a downer. They weren't even going to try. I mean, they just kind of stood there and leaned sometimes. A couple times they never got down, except on the one they blocked, where that Mathis guy got really high, and Leg just had the audacity to kick it directly into his hand. You don't see that coming. You don't plan for it. If it's like a 55-yard field goal, maybe because it's going to be low. That was certainly makeable for Lake. A leg's about as automatic as it came for the offense this year. So don't have a problem with that. But uh, when I think about that sometimes, you know, West Virginia was able to turn that around. I really never felt like TCU's defense was much of a threat. And, again, I don't know if West Virginia's offense can be counted on to, you know, pass for 258, run for 228 every game. You know, can they get – that many yards of offense every game? No, but they did tonight, which means that TCU's defense is just a mess. I mean, really got pushed back a lot. I, I, I thought Zach Frazier was really good. I thought Gamitter had really good moments. Uh, Milam, I think, played a lot of the game and looked really good. Brandon Yates did good. I mean, everybody up front seemed like they knew what they were doing, um, which leads me to this, the run game, and you mentioned this too, um, they got beat up a lot inside uh, TCU, I'm speaking of, of course. Got beat up a lot. We mentioned how a lot of their runs were in between that you know, the, the tackles inside shoulders. So between the left tackles, right shoulder, the right tackles, left shoulder, that's where teams do a lot of damage. West Virginia spent a ton of time there today too, didn't they? Yeah, a, a whole lot. I mean, we'll get the, the advanced stats probably tomorrow to see really where this is. But I, I thought West Virginia really just cleared the lane. I thought this was an excellent game for Zach Frazier. And you know who else was a good game for that right side of the line that yeah. has taken a lot of flack and, and quite frankly, rightfully so. I mean, got just flat out called out by Neil Brown. Um, Doug Nuster had been rotating out of the lineup because he had not had been playing. So uh, poor is, is not a great word. I don't want to say poor, but unevenly, uh, however you want to say. And they were solid tonight. <laughs> I thought they were really darn good. Uh, I think even all the way down to, you know, I think there was a holding call. I, I know it was a holding call on, on Milam. I can't remember what it was, but mm. even that one, I liked it because Milam just got in that guy's grill, and that guy just did one of those, oh, I'm getting 
pardon my language here, I'm getting my ass kicked. Let me throw my hands up and hope they call a hold. And yeah, he got his hands on the pad a little bit, but I thought Milam just was dominating him and the kid got a, the other kid got a call. Um, but I thought that was a really good, really good game for that right side of the line that, that has had a rough go of it so far this year. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Saw some gap schemes, too. Certainly when Garrett Green came in, but even after that, you saw some things where the one time that Brown did bounce it outside, Gamitter had bounced out from the left to the right and gave and just knocked the inside guy back inside so he couldn't get outside to chase Letty Brown. And Letty Brown got out there. I think it was his maybe his longest run of the night. Yeah, 24 yards here in the first half. I have a model that said first half written down. But they ran gaps up where they 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 trapped or they they pulled or something like that. And they just found ways to be creative on the inside. And look, you're you're not gonna see a whole bunch of exotic things. I think with this offense, because I think it's kind of brave to ask him, Hey, let's do a whole bunch of new stuff where for six weeks of the season, plus however many weeks in the preseason, they weren't able to get stuff down. So it's, it's kind of silly to ask them to do something new, but you saw them really focus on the inside, you know, inside zone, whatever gap stuff they did. They did hardly any outside zone stuff. I don't know what the count would be, but I just remember watching going, I don't remember the last time they pressed one outside. They didn't run any stretch stuff or anything like that. That's encouraging. It means they focused on something and they did it. And they're going to have to be like that against Iowa State. Iowa State plays that four eye. They put that big guy over your, your center, and, and they've really given West Virginia trouble. It's a good run defense, and that's going to be a challenge them next week. But it doesn't matter tonight. If nothing else, there's some confidence for the offensive line because you mentioned long two weeks for them when your coach says that, you know, one side got picked on and, and targeted and bullied. And, you know, when they talk about a five or seven player unit and only two guys get mentioned by the head coach by name. Uh, that's not good, too. So that's that's a significant thing there. Um, Brown gets 24 carries most of the season for him. He had not been over 19 yet. Three touchdowns, career high. Um, two things of note for me. They did not need Garrett Green to gimmick it up. He came in, gave him a jolt with a 67-yard run. I know a lot of people are going to say, why didn't he play more? Why would he have played more? The offense was probably about as close to its ceiling as you could expect, given what we had seen the first six weeks. And then Tony Mathis gets 12 carries. I think four of them are late, so I don't want to say garbage time, but you know, in the in the run of play, eight carries for you know some significant push and a couple of first downs, extremely encouraging for him. Yeah, absolutely. It was good to see him in there. And Neil Brown said, "Hey, you know, uh, we're going to look at Justin Johnson and and Tony Mathis on Tuesday and Wednesday. Whoever plays better, they'll be the backup on Saturday." And I don't know if that's been the case every single week because mostly you've seen Justin Johnson in uh, in recent weeks. But it was Mathis out there and out there early. So a couple of his carries were in the first quarter. And I think he had his first three carries went for 23 yards. I mean, I know, I know for a fact it was three carries that went for two first downs. So he came right out and, and was ready to go. Uh, he, he, and, and that's exactly what West Virginia needed. We've been talking about it forever that – they need to find somebody to relieve Lenny Brown and not just running the ball, but pass blocking and doing other things. And I don't know how much Tony Mathis pass blocked in there. I don't really recall them pass passing too much while he was in there, but it was nice to get Letty a break. And 
you mentioned the offense. Was it was this the ceiling? Pretty darn good day. I, I think they got a lot of plays in. I, what is this? Four, seven, eight. I'd say 10 drives, really, we want to say here, because I'm not going to count the one at the end of the first half where they just kind of ran one play in 14 seconds. But eight of those 10 drives, they got themselves in position to score points. Say Six of them, they scored points. One, they had the field goal block, and then the other was that last, you know, screw it, time's running out, let's just run it and not try to kick a field goal and have something crazy happen. So... Eight of the 10 offensive drives, they were able to score points. A couple of them, great field position because of turnovers. Not all of them, though. I mean, the first three the first three drives for West Virginia, if I'm looking at this correctly, they started at their 10, their 6, and their 8. Yeah. And they, got, and they scored on all three of those drives. So uh, that offense was, was God, dare I say, clicking today. Like, it's... <laughs> I don't want to get, you know, you don't get too hyped up. This, I mean, TCU is not, I was about to say TCU is not Kansas, but Kansas put up a fight today. So maybe I need to tone down the Kansas rhetoric, but TCU's defense is not great. So let's not go saying that West Virginia's offense is fixed. What there were things that you saw today, even if they were against air, that you could say that West Virginia is doing better. And that's a positive sign moving forward. And you have to do it, too. I mean, it's hard to put it on the chalkboard if you can't put on tape. And once you put on tape, you can put on the chalkboard and work on it. And I mean, they did a lot of things good. I don't know how many times that they had a TFL or something like that. Uh, three TFLs by TCU. Three times West Virginia went backwards. One was a sack. That's really good. That's mm-hmm. that's not something that they're accustomed to on offense. And when you're talking about 70 snaps and 67 are, are at least not negative. Um, let's see. They would have moved the ball forward. Seven on all but nine snaps. It's seven incompletions and two, three TFLs. So, yeah, 60 snaps out of 70. They move the ball forward. And when you're averaging, you know, 5.6 a rush, almost uh, almost nine a pass attempt, doing the math in my head, that's pretty good. And they haven't been accustomed to that for a while. So that's beneficial, I think, too. Um, defensively, you mentioned aggression. Um, I thought they, they got into some bad situations where it was a little bit of cover, too. And they pulled the plug on that right away once I started to get gashed by Kendry Miller, who for some reason only got six carries. Yeah. Hey, you said, sorry to interrupt. You said you had the announcers off. They're saying, boy, this offense is good when Zach Evans is in. And I was like, when, when Kendry Miller's in, it's been great for TCU. I don't know why he's not carrying the ball more. I don't know if TCU is not used to having like explosive players on offense, but I mean, Darius Davis got one touch. Guy brings the kickoff back 100 yards. He runs a 4 3 as a slot guy. He's got one touch. He loses five yards on a, uh, actually, on a pretty good play I'll talk about. Um, never got a catch. Uh, they really targeted Johnston a lot. They got Zach Evans some catches. I think West Virginia took that away, but I mean, Miller's good. Duggan probably should run more than he did, but it might be hard with a, a broken foot. Just wonder if they know how to use all these tools on offense or if maybe they just they had some good games too. That um that five yard loss by Davis was on a jet sweep. I don't know if you caught this play, but West that was, Virginia, the, was that Bartlett? Yeah, West Virginia yeah. saw that coming. I mean, saw that coming, communicated it so much so that Matthews came over from Spear, moved Porter to the inside into a bunch formation, and and Matthews ended up playing cornerback. But there was a whole bunch of bang 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 communication going on. So it looked like Chandler Samito, who was pretty good tonight, I mean, he was he talked spicy during the week, and he ended up with eleven tackles, nine solo stops. He was good. Um, including a, a TFL on fourth down. But 
he, Adai, Matthews all start communicating this. They saw this, they studied it, they recognized it, they thought it was going to be a sweep or something to that formation side. And they flipped everything around. They get they get off the field. It was a really big play at the time. I think West Virginia went down and scored after that, too. Um, got three points, I think. But just things like that. You could tell the defense was sharp. Just that, that honestly, if you take away that that field goal, excuse me, the, the opening game kickoff return, it's seven points. I'm not sure they score or get a field goal or whatever on that drive. But there's really nothing embarrassing about what happened to West Virginia tonight, which is not what you've been able to say about them before. They've had plays or stretches where you go, that's what a bad team looks like. You really didn't see that tonight. That's to me, that's pretty redeeming. Yeah, that 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 was the difference in the game. That them not making these egregious mistakes that that have haunted them so far this year, and then again that defense really just God, I, just watching them jump routes today. I I'm trying to think of the last time I remember this year, this entire season where they have jumped routes, multiple routes in a game, and I think again on that. Uh, the Daryl Porter interception, and I tweeted this, I posted this, so sorry, I'm repeating myself to those who uh, follow us on the board, but I thought it was Lance Dixon about to pick, uh, pick that off because Lance Dixon jumped the hitch route on the slot receiver, and then the ball went flying past him, and I was like, oh, where's that going? And then Porter jumped that route, and they I think there were three different guys in pass coverage up tight, and all three of them jumped the route knowing almost like they knew exactly what that guy was running. And they all jumped the route. Porter picked off the pass and was gone. I mean, it was just really aggressive, uh, a really aggressive defense. And a nice job by uh, Woods on that one pick. I mean, that was that was a long throw by by Duggan. That was, that was up there for a long time. And But we've seen long throws from quarterbacks before, and West Virginia's DBs kind of hang back and wait to hit the receiver once he gets his hands on the ball. Not Woods. He went right for that ball, picked it off, ripped it away from this guy. That was a really great play. And that's what I'm talking about. They want guys to take some chances. You know, you you work really hard. You rep things. You understand film and tendencies. Trust it and go. And you wonder, like, what does that look like? That's a lot of words. You know, it sounds easier said than done. Well, pretty easy when you do it. They just want them to do it, too. Um, you want to wrap up and get to it? Yep. The big one. You mentioned it in your immediate thoughts after the game here. <laughs> What's the identity of the play caller tonight? <laughs> Should we uh, let's start this with how it kind of started? I might have gotten a message that said that there may be a new play caller for West Virginia this evening, and then started watching what was happening. And you texted me not much later, and what were the things that you noticed, Mike? Um, I, I wonder if I have to clean this up at all. Let me go see if I can find it. I said when they when the <laughs> camera gives you the wide shot and you see the Teletubby looking assistant coaches on the sideline <laughs> signaling in the play. I didn't <laughs> say you had to say that part, but I'm glad. Well, you they did. look like go Teletubbies. <laughs> <laughs> they're all like waving their arms. And they're purple and red and blue and everything. But Brown's nowhere near it. So he's usually like in the screen next to this guy, and they got the like the 17 beach towels over their heads or whatever. He wasn't near it, and then. As you paid attention to the game, plays were going on, and and he's got the the mouthpiece up on his headset, and he's got his arms crossed, he's got his play sheet, and he's looking at it, but he's not talking, and the play is coming in from the sideline. Like you can watch it, and you can tell. Um, like I I paid attention after you said it at the half, and I was wondering that that really happened, and 
again, it's very easy to do. You can call plays from the box to the field. It's hard to call plays from from one from the the box to the head coach to the field. That's a little bit more convoluted. But if you take one of the steps out of the process, it's pretty easy too. So um, I'll go back and watch it again. But I would listen. Maybe some sleuths out there listening can do this too. If you watch the second half, there's times where play is coming in, and the camera is on Neil Brown, and he's got his arms folded, or he's talking to someone at his side, and the and the mouthpiece is up on his headset. And I don't I, I got to I got to get my confidence up to ask this question on Saturday, because I wonder if what I saw in those instances reflects maybe what we saw on the field tonight, because I think the offense was a little bit different. We saw some under under center stuff, which they've been leaning toward doing um, of late. And Jared Parker talks glowingly about their under center stuff. And that's just one change on things They ran inside zone a little bit. I'm not sure it's a Jared Parker thing, so. Maybe it's not all that we think it is, but just watching those plays tonight and how they were called in, that was a little bit different to me tonight. And we only saw one like frantic or late play clock moment where they had to call a timeout. Um, otherwise, they're pretty organized, too. So I don't know. Test my theory, please. Chris, you can weigh in, too. But if you're listening and you watch and you noticed it or if you want to go back and rewind or watch the YouTube clips or whatever, tell me if you see it. Like, do you see a coach who's standing there when the play is coming in and he's not involved in the play calling? Do you see a whole bunch of action on the sideline where four or five different GAs or assistant coaches are calling in plays and the head coach is not? To me, that's what I thought I saw. I have a better question for you, Mike. Not who is the play caller, but do you think we'll get a straight answer on Tuesday? I don't know how you ask the question. Yeah, like <laughs> that's the one thing, too, because like for, one, for whatever reason, they will not commit to the red zone question. And I just wonder if in the midst of a three-game losing streak in your third season as head coach, you're going to come out and say, yeah, I, I I pass along play calling. I want to be in charge of the overall picture and things like that. I don't know. But, again, I, I think it's something I got to look at. Maybe I'll make some calls or texts tomorrow too to see what the deal is, if I can dig up more. But uh, perhaps maybe, I don't know, perhaps positive reinforcement will, will come from the Internet or, or listeners too that say, yeah, Mike, here's what we're doing. Or who knows, maybe somebody who's the capitalist source listens and does that too. But I don't know. What did you see? I, I saw a lot of the same things you did. One of the first things I noted was just like when the play calls were coming in and, and how did you just put it a second ago that you wanted to hand off the play calling duties to handle more of the big picture stuff? That's what it looked like. He looked like somebody who was overseeing the team, like like a manager, like a, like a head coach and, some, and a head coach that doesn't handle coordinator responsibilities. Just looked like it. Again, it's a source that texted that and it kind of you just start watching and I, I i keep wondering if i had just watched that would i have thought it without getting the text has, has that influenced me in some manner but it was notable like it was notable it seemed it seemed notable that there was a change um a couple of tweaks to the offense i don't feel like the offense is that different and and they if you recall they were pretty steadfast about that that there would not be over an overhaul of the offense, a change in the scheme, a change in, you know, their philosophy. So it wasn't like some massive shift if there was a change in play calling. But I do think we saw some different tweaks. We saw some different wrinkles. And is that bi-week game planning? Or is that a change in who is actually making the final call in the plays? Yeah, it's really interesting, too, and I don't think it's an irrelevant question because they won tonight. They played very competent, organized offense. They didn't look chaotic or frantic. It's, it's probably something there, too. Um, they know. didn't score so, 30 points. Didn't. Can't do it. Can't do it. Sorry, Jared. Sorry, Neil. Can't do it. Sorry. But, hey, 
five games left, five opportunities to do it, begins 2 o'clock ESPN plus Saturday against Iowa State. Iowa State, Chris, up to their normal stuff. Yep, sucking in October, September and October, and come or in September and coming around in October. Speaking of, me? Charity oh. bets. <laughs> hey, well, don't jinx it yet. We're still waiting on uh, Houston. Still waiting on Houston. Yeah. So is Houston, I guess, too. Um, <laughs> I suffered a miserable death today because um, my Mac parlay went bad when Ball State threw a pick in the end zone on second down late in the late in the game. And then did you see the ending of the Nevada Fresno State game? Wait, did you have Fresno State and something, too? Did I miss it? No, Didn't I that wasn't one? part of charity bets. No, was that a uh, a side bet? That might oh, have been yeah. your your personal bet. I was going to say yeah. you, you went one and one because you had the miracle LSU. Oh. Backdoor cover, and then UVA just finished off Georgia Tech while we started this podcast. So you you hit that one, missed the other one because of Ball State, and I hit the Friday night get right and just watched Clemson absolutely wet themselves at Pitt. So I missed that, and our poor our poor message board they 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 went straight up with Oklahoma State Iowa State on the over and Houston minus thirteen and a half. I got scared that about those numbers being too big, so I teased them together to get Okie State and Iowa State down to 39.5. And what was it? 45. I think it was 24-21, right, was the mm-hmm. final score. So my personal bet, still good. I uh, need Houston win by seven. The board bet, sorry, guys. Thought it was a good one. but yeah. uh, Nevada got hosed on a two-point conversion play. Again, volume off, and I was watching our game, but to tie the game in the two-point play. The pass is caught in the end zone, but it certainly looks like the defensive back is running through the receiver. And then Nevada recovers an onside kick, but can't do anything with it, too. So um, I guess another part they went up in flames. But uh, more importantly, the game we covered, West Virginia wins, back on the winning track, and then, hey, bowl eligibility is still alive. It would be really hard to get there without a win tonight. Um, now you just got to win three before you lose three. And I think that's probably more navigable now that you cleared a game that you had to clear. Look, there's a couple teams that are going to have to hurdle if they want to move up, move up in the standings. They are probably, I would say, one and two so far, but certainly game against Kansas State. And I don't know if I want to put Texas in there or not, but certainly Kansas State's a game they got to win if they want to get somewhere. And then who knows with Kansas? Are they getting better? Was today just a fluke? We'll see. But um, there's one, maybe two wins up there, which means they're going to have to steal one probably. Iowa State at home. Uh, a lot of motivation there. That's a team that's really bullied in the last couple of years. Uh, Texas at home, Oklahoma State at home. Really can't ask for a better schedule than getting one tonight on the road. Makes you a little bit more emboldened about road games. But confidence, too. They need confidence. They got on an offense, and that should help them as they get ready for the Cyclones. Well, Mike, I think we can wrap it up now because now I'm starting to get uh, messages from fans that even after a win are telling me that Daryl Porter really screwed that interception return up because he, one person told me, went up the sideline instead towards the middle of the field, and someone else was disappointed that he did not, quote, truck the quarterback. So um, we'll go have those conversations now and, and, and hop off the podcast. Let's do it. Let's Until do next it. time, I'm Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.